So hello and welcome everyone uh, to today's edition of uh, Talking Roadmaps. And I am joined by Phil Hornby, who is the founder of Scale Business Performance. Phil, welcome. Hi, Justin. Pleasure to be here. I love the fact we've now got the name and the title. We can actually put it in there after the working title last time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's iterative, as as all good things should be. Phil, tell us a little bit um, before we, we get going about uh, your role and, and kind of how you help people within the world. I guess my pitch is I use, well, I help entrepreneurial product teams to be successful. And so that's looking at both team dynamics, et cetera. But it's really, it's focused on product people. And I typically use training facilitation. So the training is to kind of upskill people and the facilitation is to help them explore their own product space, explore their own problems and hopefully solve some of them along the way. Awesome. And do you do that as a set of kind of workshops or offline work or is it a combination of those? Generally, so it's usually uh, sort of training courses with uh, the kind of live sessions as well. Some, some trainings live, some trainings on demand. Excellent. So kind of taking them through a roadmap, if you will, which is a nice segue to where, where we're going to go on today's conversation, but essentially taking them on that journey. Absolutely. Superb. So obviously you are an established business professional and veteran within the industry, and you'll have been using roadmaps for a long time throughout your career as well. Um, I'm interested to kind of think about some of your perspectives of, of roadmaps. So maybe start off with kind of in your mind, what you think a, a roadmap uh, is or what a purpose of a roadmap is. Yeah. So for me, the purpose of a roadmap is to strategically communicate direction. It's where are we going. It's getting everyone aligned and on, on board, but not everyone kind of cares about the strategic level as well. So sometimes it also has a bit of a tactical element or an operational day-to-day -day element. You might notice one of my, uh, my concepts there is I always like to kind of look through that strategic, operational, tactical lens of kind of the different sort of levels. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think that's important, isn't it? Because a roadmap's not going to do everything for everybody. Um, and it's not going to be the one deliverable that gives everyone the information they need. But it sits quite in a in a, in, a, in a specific area, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of the bridges between strategy and execution. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. And I'd agree. Uh, that's that's really how I, I, I feel from this as, as well. So with people kind of having a focus on the strategic side and the, the tactical side of things, who, who do you think the audiences of, of roadmaps are and, and, and can there be multiple? Absolutely. I actually, these days, I'm on four, possibly even five different versions or views of the roadmap, I would say, because actually I think there should be one roadmap, but different people seeing different versions or different views of it. So my favorite, oh, my favorite, one of them, for example, is the internal facing one. So you've got your senior execs. They want something that's very long-term, kind of directional, strategic, the path we're going on, but not the specific, you know, little micro details. Well, actually, some CEOs really want <laughs> micro details, but they shouldn't. And then you've got that operational and development-focused team. So the people who are going to actually deliver it and live with it, they want a much shorter, much more detailed view of things that helps them deliver and helps them get ready for delivering maybe up to a year out. Then going externally, you've got, let's say, say I'm going, I start thinking layers of trust at that level. So like, mm -hmm. how much do I trust these people outside my organization? So I've got right. getting all the way out to prospects, those people that mm, they're not current customers. I don't know them that well. So they're going to get one level of information. And there's a little bit of a, 
catch 22 there you want to share lots of information because you want to win the business bring them on that journey with you but if you share all that detail then it's going to end up potentially in the hands of competitors now i have a philosophy there of a little bit that with competitors you have to assume if you've shown it to anyone externally that competitors have seen it and you have to assume that you can now execute the competition but there's still different levels of granularity or information you might put there for for a prospect versus a customer who's a current you know customer someone who's buying from them you've got a relationship with them and then you've got that kind of i guess external relationships like partners you know when yeah. you're collaborating with them they they might need a slightly different version again it's it's slightly operational it's slightly strategic it's but they're also not in that full zone of trust, perhaps. Yes, exactly. I was, I was going to say that. And I love the fact that you talked about those layers of trust, you know, much much like a you know an onion skin model type thing. You've got these different levels of of, of a circle of trust. Um, and, and it makes sense. You know, you, you want to show enough information to paint the picture, but not necessarily too much. Um, and especially, I, I love the fact that when you said, you know, sharing it externally, you, your competition can pick up. So you must assume that, if you shared externally, anybody could see it. But actually, there's still advantages of, of being able to do that. It gains trust from your customers, which sometimes is more important. Um, but also, um, there are other ways to overcome challenges with competition, out, out executing them, for instance, or just being first sometimes can be can be yeah. the differentiator. I, I just remember in the past where your clients would ask you, oh, can you leave a copy of the roadmap with you? And there'd be that sense too. It's like, no, we can't. And this was in the day smartphones were already around. So people, someone would just stand up at the back of the yard and say, oh, click. They've got it. <laughs> yeah. But heck, if they're smart people, they can just draw it because there's usually not that much detail on there. Right. So if you're going to show it publicly, yes, you might insist on NDAs, but you're going to show it. You're going to kind of accept that it's out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think some of my my favorite uh products or services out there have got some level of roadmap and, and showing you what's aspirationally possible. Um, so I, I really like that. So talk to me through, you know, we mentioned about um, maybe different types of roadmaps and and the different audiences. Who, who in your mind do you think owns that roadmap or roadmaps uh, within the organization? So I think at a fundamental level, it's product or product management. In fact, same product kind of people seem to shorten to product management when actually or shorts from product management to product, when actually yeah. there's product developers, product designers, et cetera. So it's got to be a little bit more specific. But I think it's product management that own it. But then there's different layers in product management. You know, Not everyone's on the same level. You've got the juniors or associates or the product execs. You go to the normal product managers, the seniors, maybe the group product managers, the principals, the heads of, the VPs of. So they all have different layers of influence and different sort of layers of, ownership i think at the you know, product managers need to own their product and therefore need to control its destiny but it needs to also interrelate with other products so so there's there's some external dependencies that somehow need to be represented in terms of how these things work together how they play a bigger part and tell a bigger story as part of a, a portfolio and then so you end up with a your different types of roadmaps. If you got, a, are we talking portfolio? We're we talking about individual products. Sometimes even just a feature level. Yes. And ha- how granular is your organisation for that? 
yeah it, it completely makes sense and, and i think you've also it depends on the organization and the needs within it it could be a small startup versus a large company like you said there's so many variables in here um to you know who owns that roadmap do I you mean, have a if, view if just oh, sorry. to pick up on yeah, that point there with the, the startups i mean probably the ceo someone on the founding team owns the roadmap in that context because the first product manager is often brought in just to be really tactical to yeah. kind of pick up some of that tactical work that the C-suite don't have the time for because they've also got to worry about things like getting funding in. And so, but essentially they are a product manager. That's what they're doing. They're doing the job. I don't care what job title someone has, whether they're called a product manager, business development manager, product owner, a product marketer, a CEO. Are they doing product management? Are they yeah. really driving consistent, repeatable delivery of value to both the business and the customer. Yeah, for sure. And they often say that the CEO is the first product manager, essentially, of the, the organization because that's what they've dreamt up and created. So uh, it completely makes sense. I mean, um, I've even got a little more uh, thought. You know, people talk about the product manager being the CEO of the product. Mm. I flip that on its head. Good CEOs are like big product managers because – Good CEOs use influence without authority, the same way as product managers do. Now, that CEO of the product uh, sort of quote has been around 25 years, I think it is now, since Mark Andreessen talked about it. And the principles were sound because it was saying you've got to drive the portfolio, look after it as your baby, look after it as a, as a, as a business within the business, essentially. Right. And it said, you know, using those sorts of things like influence. But reality is, actually, they don't, product managers don't have that formal power usually. No, but good CEOs don't exercise that formal power. They use much more the same skill set as product managers. So I like to think of the product manager as the or the CEO as the big product manager because the yeah, business I, I is like their it. product. I, yeah, completely. Uh, you know that resonates with me. And and I think I found that when people said that the product manager was a CEO of the product, I, I actually had some fundamental challenges with that because I've worked for some organisations where I haven't been given that flexibility or that um, you know that that ownership or accountability. So you know, so in some instances, you know, people will will find that they're more glorified project managers that are expected to deliver as well as project manage. So I, I completely understand that, and I love that that kind of phrasing around the CEO. Um, uh, being that that product manager, the big product manager, who do you feel then kind of maintains that roadmap? Because we mentioned, um, you know, different audiences and and things like that. So does that mean that there are multiple people maintaining it? In your view? So I, the, I guess I'll come back. I think the product manager maintains. So they're responsible for it. In fact, let's use that language. So mm. the product manager is responsible for the roadmap, but perhaps there's an accountability that goes into a broader team, like the leaders in the product team and even the C-suite, et cetera, to kind of make sure it's you know actually delivering the value to the market and to the customers. But someone's going to live it and breathe it, and that's the product manager. Yeah. And then they're going to drive it forward. So they're going to maintain it in whatever form or tool that it's been there done in. Absolutely. I think they need to, you know, evangelize it and get people excited behind that that single uh, that single vision, I was going to say. And actually that's a, an interesting point, which is um, what's the relationship of, of kind of some of the higher level artifacts? Well, I'm kind of biasing the question now, maybe, but things like vision, strategy, and ob objectives. What's what's the relationship of those things to a roadmap as well? What do you what do you think there? So I think they provide the context, the frame. You know, there are many things that are going to influence the direction you take a product. Some of them are internal. You know, too many people talk about you know, it's all about following the customer. Well, yes but within a certain frame, within a certain context. You know, we've got 
as a business, we've said we are playing in certain games. We're going certain direction, playing with certain types of products, certain problems we're going to solve. And that creates a context that can't be ignored. That's the internal perspective. So the objectives we're trying to achieve, are we trying to drive revenue? Are we trying to drive market share? That defines things like what we're going to put on the roadmap. Yeah. And yeah. similarly, you know, the vision of where do we want, what do we want to, or the future we want to create, that's going to define what we want to put on the roadmap. But obviously it needs then all that, so that sense check out there in the world with the customers, with the market, to make sure that people really want it. Because one of the challenges can be that that vision and strategy and objectives can be disconnected. You know, it's there and it's created in isolation without the, the context, without the information from the market. because senior leaders tend to be a bit more divorced from the market. You're the product person is the one who's in touch with the market on a regular basis, talking to customers. Hey, well, I say they are not always. Sometimes even they have things second or third hand through sales teams that kind of limit their access to customers, which I don't think is good practice, but it right. happens. Yeah, I've certainly been there myself, um, you know, le leading internal products, even though I could access some of those teams, you know, there were teams of teams using those products and trying to get, you know, very specific uh, feedback from those users was often very difficult. And so you have to sometimes make some educated guesses or some proxy level information from it um, in order to build that up. So that that completely makes sense. And And kind of talking about those artifacts of a vision and strategy which what do you feel are the relationship to roadmaps in terms of other related artifacts are there are there are things that we can that support a roadmap document in your mind so i mean I, I guess in some roadmap documents i would actually expect to see the vision and the objectives for example nice. uh, possibly even a high level statement of the strategy that's in there and so it depends on whether we're talking about the roadmap as this one view of where the product's going or actually a bigger document, which I think actually makes more sense. It's a roadmap document with the context there, but also some relationship maybe to some lower level artifacts. Um, let's call them things like release plans, which too many roadmaps look just like. They're a Gantt yes. chart with a date. <laughs> we're going to deliver this on this date. What, what do you mean you need a release plan? That is the roadmap. Yeah. <laughs> When fundamentally they're different artifacts there for different jobs. Now, I talked about that, you know, the operations and dev version of the roadmap. Those two things, the release plan and that, need to really closely gel because that's giving them the direction, but in more granular detail. And then there's the essentially the release pack coming plan coming back saying this is what we're going to deliver, and you know that gives you a sense check that R and D know that what to deliver when and it lines up with customer and market needs. Yeah, 100%. No, it's it's great to hear those views. A lot of those, again, I just can relate to and, and understand and, and feel similarly myself. Talking about um, kind of beliefs and things like that, what do you believe are some of the key elements then or the content of a roadmap? So potentially it's it's something that's accompanied by other things. I loved your concept of a roadmap document. You know, a roadmap should be standalone, but actually would be best when you've got it as part of a narrative. But what do you consider as some of those best practices in roadmapping? Oh, sorry, the key elements or, or content of a roadmap, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've been influenced quite recently a lot by uh, Roadmaps Relaunched, um, by what they talk about in that book. I'm very heavily leaning towards the now, next, and later style of timeframes you know, that Jana Barstow created, and kind of it, it resonates with me so much because it's more honest in terms of where we're going. 
and when we're actually going to get there versus right. timelines that always slip or get descoped, and then people are disappointed. And I've I've come across lots of customers saying, "Well, you know, I want a date. I need a date." Or people, particular salespeople, not thinking customers will accept not having date. Right. But more often than not, the honesty of that style of timeline, for example, or time frame, is so much more realistic that people accept it very willingly because they think oh, that's more likely to come true and they can see the priorities expressed in it and again you see things like um themes as it's called in the book outcomes or um problem-oriented roadmaps showing the problems we're going to solve for customers not the solution we're going to deliver because right. they tend to be quite static we say we're going to set out to set up, solve a problem i love that because I can work on solving that problem, maybe also looking at what outcomes I'm driving for the customer and the business as well, those sorts of levels of things. But I'm, if when I get halfway through trying to solve that problem, I find out, well, the solution I originally thought is the wrong one. I don't have yep. to change my roadmap. That's right. I just deliver a different solution. I still solve the problem. I, when you get very prescriptive, highly technical customers, that's become a problem because they they want to see the bits and the bytes and exactly what they're going to get and they're they're thinking operational terms like really what the release plan should be telling them mm-hmm. and expecting out the room. I think there was a, a Twitter a, a tweet a while ago. I remember that I think it might have been John Cutler. He talked about how. We need to understand the job to be done of a, of a roadmap because we're trying to ask one document to do 10 different things because we're yep. conflating. We think by doing it, we'll be more efficient, more effective. We're in actual fact, what we're doing is reducing the effectiveness of a really powerful tool by trying to conflate it with five other tools that give different views and different information. 100%. And, and I loved your point there about, you know, being prescriptive with the roadmap there, because again, that goes down the lines of a delivery plan. And, and you know, we don't know what's going to happen uh, in, in the future. You know, we've, we shared a quote in the, in the last uh, interview that we had, and, and it was just like, I completely agree. You know, if we talk about problems, the problem will exist and it leaves it open for um, us to be able to look at various solutions and be able to navigate different solutions. You know, no one could have seen the pandemic coming. But if you've been so prescriptive about something, then that might have derailed all plans. Whereas if you're still focused around the customer problem, then actually it leaves us multiple ways to be able to solve that. So I, mean, I really it, like that. It kind of resonates a little bit with the uh, sort of- Teresa Torres and the opportunity solution tree as well. One of the bits of guidance in, in her book is talks about prioritize the opportunities. And by opportunity, it means problems, needs. It's that level of thing for the customer. So you're prioritizing that and you're showing that priority on your roadmap instead yeah. of prioritizing the solution, which there might be a hundred different ways of solving it. And and that well, that solution might not might serve some other opportunity or some other need. But if you prioritize if you prioritize at that level, you're you're prioritizing at the customer and the market level, which has got yeah. to be more powerful. And yeah, there's a trade-off. You might find it's the highest effort thing to solve, <laughs> but if it's the most valuable thing to solve, that might be the right thing to do. Absolutely, and being and being customer centric is is so so important. And in fact, it's interesting you mentioned a couple of mistakes. You know, or, or we've alluded to a couple of mistakes already. What what do you think is maybe the biggest mistake or mistakes that people make in road mapping? I think we may have touched on a few of those, but is there one that comes to mind for you? 
putting too many dates on. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't mind putting a date on. There are there are real, like, realities of corporate life, of c customer life, of uh, market cycles and so on. So sometimes you have to commit to a date. That's yeah. not evil. And I don't care what an agileist says, I'm probably going to get a flame war because of this now. But there are sometimes these realities. We've got to make a commitment to say we're going to do something by a certain date. The implementation of something like GDPR compliance was not a negotiable thing. That's it right. had to be there, done by a date. And there are there's probably a thousand other things like that. So commit to those. Great. But understand that that means that other things around it are movable. Yeah. And if you try and lock everything down, you basically say nothing's movable. There's no flexible. We can't learn anything in the market as we go along. Therefore, let's not bother talking to customers. We'll stay in our ivory towers. We'll stay in our ivory towers. We'll just dream up wonderful things that we think are going to solve problems for customers. And then we're going to get it wrong. Yeah. And that's right. Absolutely. But, but, but we delivered the roadmap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the wrong thing to be measuring. Um, so, and, and what kind of uh, bad practices or anti patterns do you, do you regularly encounter? I think one of mine has been that you see that people use the same roadmap over to every different audience because it's easy or it's consistent. But do you do you see any um, anti-patterns or bad mistakes um, in, in the work that you do with clients or customers? Regular issue is that they every three months, they just move everything right by three months and just turn up. And it's just the it's the perpetual same roadmap. Right. It's, that it's just so they, nothing's moved. They've not managed to move the needle. They've not talked to the customers to actually figure out if it's the wrong or the right thing. And so when they kind of, so they just keep going on that same path, keep trying to push forward the same way, not making any difference to the customer, not making any difference to their business, just burning cash. And, but feeling good because they're still telling a story of this is what's come and then delivering none of it. And so they yeah. just shift it three months every time. I mean, I guess another one, is when you have timelines is being clear on timelines. People interpret timelines so differently. If you say something is coming in Q1, sales think that means January, January 1st. Right. Okay. Product thinks it means 31st of March. <laughs> and development means, thinks it means sometime in April because they're going to slip and they're in, it's inevitable. Right. That's, that's great. I think that's, that's brilliant. And so do you, do you maybe then have a bit of, um, do we cover the, the the pet hate one there? Was that the, the dates on roadmap, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I I think so. Um, and, and that goes back again to what we were saying about levels of trust. And I think that's really important, actually, is that you're, you're actually um, eroding the trust by putting dates on there that aren't actually even going to be realistic. So I love the fact of kind of time bucketing these things up makes a lot of sense. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, so, so far, personally, from a portfolio of like, physical products in particular, I've not found a better way than timelines. Mm. Um, I've seen people trying to use the, the now, next, and later, time, uh, should we say, three horizon style for it. I don't think it communicates things well enough because you often need to get into a catalog or something like that, and people need those hard dates. And the uh, timelines on hardware are much harder, much tighter, much clearer, um, because you can do the analysis, you can figure out how to deliver it. Detail functionality that's often delivered by firmware, okay, maybe not so much. But when you're trying to look at lots of things interrelating, I 
I haven't found a better way, and I'm, I'm striving for one. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that through this process, we're going to actually find one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've come across many in my time as a product manager. You know, looking, looking after the, the basket pages for Dell was, you know, the checkout system. There were tax and legal milestones that we had to meet. There was a, a cutover from Switch. Um, do you remember the old Switch payment type? Yeah. So we, we had to, to, you know, make sure that we were then moving across to the, to the next um, billing system or, or payment gateway that was available because it was being shut down. So there's absolutely kind of, you know, these critical legal mandatory milestones that we need to hit. Um, and also some crucial customer ones, you know, if some sales are depending on something, but it needs to be compromised with then having flexibility elsewhere. You're right. Otherwise, we set ourselves up for a fail. Um, Phil, I've been really impressed by some of the people that you've quoted and kind of some of the resources that you're talking about. Um, whose kind of advice in the industry uh, on roadmapping do you typically listen to or, or, or go to for information? I mean, as, as you know, I'm a bit of a, a bookworm and I, I like my resources. In fact, when I run training courses, I tend to tend send and because wrote lots of resources that people afterwards and I, I probably do too many which means it gets lost for the uh the wood lost in the trees but but i, I just i love resources i love i love the learning aspect of it and i you never know which is the one that's just going to click with that individual absolutely I, I think if i was choose anyone it, it'd probably be bruce mccarthy um and i guess Ton lombardo and i think there's a couple of other authors of the the uh, roadmap to relaunch book Yep, just it's because on my it's, shelf behind me somewhere in there. <laughs> it's somewhere behind this green screen there, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, for me, it, it's it just kind of distilled down so much thinking, so many thoughts. Uh, I mean, there are there are other sort of people who do quite a lot of work. Rob Farl at Cambridge University seems to have a lot of good thoughts there. It's one that I haven't actually dug into yet, but it's on my okay. planned list of things to kind of to dig into because I've heard good things from other quarters. But yeah, I, I generally end up just kind of finding the tool providers as well. You know, there's tons of webinars, for example, by ProdPad, by AHA, by ProdBoard, et cetera. And they all bring slightly different perspectives and slightly different views. You start to see the philosophy of some of the founders and this sort of thing and what they believe in and how they think it should be done. Yeah, And, and I think you can bring a lot from those by not necessarily going to always buying the tool, but listening to what they say about road mapping and they're thinking, well, what fits in my context? Because actually, if I went back to an anti-pattern again or bad practice, it's trying to apply one size fits all road mapping in every context. That's right. Product management is such a variable role because we're always dealing with different contexts, with different organizational setups. Why would road mapping be any different? It's our core tool. And we're in different markets with different technologies, et cetera. We've, we've got to accept that there's going to be different best practices in different places that allow us to get the best out of it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, one of the critical pieces of roadmap is a communication tool. And if it's not resonating with your audience, it's missing the whole point of what it's trying to do. So flexing that to them and, and getting them behind it is sounds like it's vital. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, from... I absolutely agree. For me, there's, I think of it as a strategic communication tool, but then I've talked about other audiences and this. Sort of, but that's where I think it's primary usage. It's that big strategic direction. So if I had to choose only one audience I'm maintaining it for, it's going to be that senior exec long-term version because that's the thing that I'm going to get, guide with. And I can then use other tools like backlogs and things like that 
through the more tactical work and I can use it in that context. But yeah, it's, well, as you said, communication is key and communication is for the audience, not for the sender. We've got to put it into how they need to receive it, not just assume that, you know, what we say is what they want. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I've seen it again, done many times really well and I've seen it done many times really really badly as well just as a as a as a side question have you seen any external uh companies or, or you know companies in 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 the world uh, actually creating external roadmaps and doing it well I'm curious to think if you've if you've had any examples of that hmm. so I mean I remember seeing some quite nice ones in the b2b context and that's generally wherever I've operated um where if I whether were a vendor coming in to talk to me about where they were going, and I, I remember things on like augmented reality technology. I think Matteo had a really great roadmap. They then got acquired by Apple, so their roadmap maybe was part of that. I don't know. Um, you know, that's the basis of all AR kits fundamentally, yeah. I believe. But uh, you've got. I remember seeing some quite nice ones from Intel back in the day that were using a Three Horizons print concept to present their physical, their hardware product roadmap. As opposed mm-hmm. to trying to put those fixed timelines there, which was quite nice to see and reassuring. Um, Facebook's F8 conference back in 2016, they had a nice Three Horizons one that they put out there now. Whether you That's believe right. that was what Zuckerberg really was doing, I don't know. I don't, you know, we'll take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> but with five years' hindsight, you can look at it now and think, well, yeah, it makes sense. It stacks up. Where were, what was important to them? Where were they? What were they investing in to kind of build future capabilities that have then become the foundations of the metaverse, whatever we want to call that, uh, you know, geeky thing. Um, yeah, I've seen a few roadmaps where they're kind of on Trello or something like that in the B two C space. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I've never really engaged with them. I find that too low tech, too simple. Yeah. Maybe I'm just because I'm coming from quite a large B2B environment. I find that it's not telling me what I want to know as a as a customer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In which case, the roadmap isn't communicating, or it's not giving you the information you, that you need. Um, and that that yeah, completely makes sense. So. Obviously, we've talked a lot about roadmaps, and I really appreciated your views and your thoughts there. Could you sort of distill your philosophy of roadmapping into maybe a couple of sentences? How how would you describe that to people if 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 they had no idea what roadmapping was, or they had some some uh, misconceptions of it? How would you describe it to them? I guess I'd start out by saying the name roadmap is problematic. <laughs> a roadmap, in part, you know, if you think about a roadmap, it's an atlas, right? It's got yeah. lots of paths, lots of routes. It doesn't tell you how to get anywhere or where you're going. You, you need a route plan to go with it to kind of say, take this turn, take that turn. We're going there, and so sometimes the the, the analogy we've chosen has become problematic. But if I step back from there, for me, it's all about alignment and communication for across the organization and our customers, helping us have a conversation with our customers that brings them on the same journey as us and lets them know that that's the journey we're going on that they can join us on, and having a conversation internally to make sure that everyone's lined up. The the people who can see the long-term can see the long-term. People who need to see the short-term can see the short-term. Now, that was about 10 sentences, but I guess maybe I can distill it down a little later. (laughs) 
Uh, it makes it makes sense. Yeah, all the, all the points were there, and I think this is again one of the challenges and why road mapping is such a, a big subject is is that it serves so many different purposes and can take so many forms. It can be quite difficult to to pin that one down. Yeah, I've, I've um, thought of something I'd say my as my philosophy. Yeah, it's go ahead. One version, one source of truth, multiple views for your different audiences to communicate the direction of your product. Well, there you go. Smashed it. I think that's great. <laughs> Phil, thank you for that. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that um, I should have asked you about road mapping, but, but maybe didn't? Anything on your mind that you'd like to discuss a little bit more with us? I think one thing that I'm a fan of is really visual roadmaps. Make them as visual as possible, as pretty as possible. And I know it sounds cliche a little bit, but kind of they don't have to be these big tech blocks of text. They can actually be quite graphical, quite visual. They kind of help the storytelling aspect, but also critically for you as a product manager, leave you with some latitude and some flexibility because they're not pinning you down with tons of detail. Awesome. Awesome. Phil, really great speaking to you and getting your thoughts on road mapping there. Thank you so much. Love to give you an opportunity just to remind us uh, again of of, uh, what you do and how you help people. Um, We'd love to hear. So, yeah, Phil Hornby, I uh, am the founder of Scale Business Performance. We help entrepreneurial product teams to be successful through training facilitation. There it is. My link will be down below. Why not reach out and connect? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Phil, thank you so much for that. We've really enjoyed spending this time with you. Uh, Folks, please remember to like, follow and share this if you found value and you want to uh, share that with other people. And do get in touch if you'd like to be part of this. And and actually, we'd be delighted to interview you. Reach out and let us know. And that would be excellent. All right. Thanks so much, Phil. Take care. Bye. Bye.